Welcome to On The Way, a podcast to help you make a meaningful connection with Jesus every day in the midst of your day-to-day. On today's episode, Pastor Jaime Castaner-Weiss shares wonderful insights into the Greek and Hebrew words for love. This can help you grow in love for God and in love for others. Hope you enjoy. My mom used to sing me a song that said, uh, I love you a bushel and a peck, a bushel and a peck, and a hug around the neck, a hug around the neck, and a barrel and a squeeze. It's an old song. I think it's from an old musical. And at the time, I didn't understand what some of the terms meant. And in fact, I still am not sure what some of the terms meant. I know I've looked them up from time to time, but I can't seem to remember what they mean. And in some ways, it wasn't essential that I understand every single word. I had a gut sense of what they meant because I had experienced my mother's love. And I knew that my mother's love was good, and I knew that she loved me. As the years passed, I had the chance to experience and understand different facets of her love. And it made me appreciate her love even further. My mom's love was and continues to be imperfect, but I'm really grateful for it. When you hear that God loves you or that Jesus loves you, what comes to mind? Love is a word that we use a lot in our culture, and we use a lot in the English language. We use it for a lot of things. So when you hear that God loves you, what type of love does that represent? Is it love like some of us love barbecue, whether it's North Carolina, Texas, St. Louis, or from somewhere else? Does God love us like we love our friends or like our friends love us? Is it the kind of love that we have experienced when we've loved or have received love from a partner? What is it like? What kind of love comes to mind when you think that God loves you or that Jesus loves you? God's disposition towards us is love. That's God's general attitude, his inclination towards his creation, us included. So what does that love look like? And can we grasp it? Do we have enough words? There are a number of words in the both the First and Second Testament, or the Old and New Testament, depending on how you prefer to refer to them, that can be loosely translated as love or as different facets of love. Two that highlight what I consider to be a unique aspect of God's love, and which God also invites us to hold towards others, are the words in Greek, agape, and in Hebrew, hesed. Agape love is an unconditional, a self-motivated love. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote extensively about agape love. It was sort of foundational for his engagement in the civil rights movement, particularly nonviolent resistance. And he described agape love as disinterested love. It's an overflowing love that seeks nothing in return. He further defined agape love as purely spontaneous, unmotivated, groundless, and creative. In its essence, he defined it as the love of God 
operating in the human heart. He thought it meant understanding, redeeming goodwill for all men. It's a love that's not set in motion by any quality or function of its object, meaning that what is being love, it, it loved isn't what provokes agape love. It's a love in which the individual seeks not his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Agape does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people or any qualities people possess. It begins by loving others for their sakes. Agape makes no distinction between friends and enemy. Dr. King further stated that agape springs from the need of the other person. His need for belonging, her need to belong to the best in the human family. It's not a weak or passive love. It's love in action. It's a willingness to go to any length to restore community. That's a lot of words for love. And even in all that he wrote and spoke about, and even as I sometimes try to describe that love, words seem lacking. It seems that in the very attempt to put words, put this love into words, we miss something. Uh, It's part of what tells me that this is something that is very much of God. The fact that I can't quite seem to, to find the right words to describe it fully. There's something that always remains mysterious or indescribable about God's love. And yet because I've experienced it, I know it's real. I know I can trust it. I know it's good. One of the things that strikes me about agape love is that we use so many words to describe it because it's it's God's. We, we have not accomplished being able to imitate it perfectly. And so we need all these words. We need all this language. Paul in 1 Corinthians uses verse after verse to describe what this love is and what it isn't. Now, on the one hand, it might feel that it's so complex that it's not even worth attempting to understand or grasp or describe. But on the other hand, I think the value of this love is so high that it is worth even our imperfect attempts not only to describe it and understand it, but also to imitate it. God's love is like that because of who God is. And furthermore, God loves us like that. God loves us with agape love because agape love is what we need. And furthermore, I think God invites us to imitate that agape love because it's what the people around us need. And because when they see us loving in that way, they see something of God. In the Old Testament, the sort of parallel word to agape love is hesed. And hesed, much like agape, uh, though it gets translated in words like loving kindness and mercy, is a concept that reflects a, a, a value that you would need paragraphs to describe. In fact, there are some dictionaries, some Hebrew dictionaries, that, that dedicate chunks of a page, uh, strings of words, just to try and describe what hesed is. 
when I've tried to condense it into fewer words, uh, I can never do it necessarily in one word. I always need at least two. So when I try to describe hesed, hesed succinctly, I use phrases like committed loyalty, covenant faithfulness, and loving kindness. Now, covenant language isn't necessarily familiar to us, but it's this idea that there is an agreement between uh, the one exercising chesed and the one receiving chesed. And the person exercising it is going to remain committed to that agreement. Chesed is a kind of love that disadvantages itself for the sake of others. It's a love that is strong in its commitment. And in fact, the strength of that love is in the strength of the commitment. When I thought of the imagery around chesed, I had a grad school professor that would talk about the folks that he met in Bedouin tribes in the Middle East. And that when they thought about chesed, they would think of it as if you would find you would be with your tribe or with your people in the desert and you'd find someone wandering around in need of resources. Now, when you're alone in the desert, what is uh, at risk of you is you're, you're at risk of dying, of getting lost, of not surviving. It's very hard to survive in the desert alone. And so Hesed, what Hesed would call for, if you wanted to exercise Hesed towards someone, this type of love towards someone, is you would give them whatever they needed to survive, even if it meant that you put yourself at risk. Now, there's there are concepts like charity in which you give, sometimes sacrificially, but sometimes out of abundance, towards someone else that's in need. And you might not necessarily cover their need, but the hope is that they'll get enough to get to the next person and to get to the next person, and hopefully they'll get what they need. Uh, and there are words in Hebrew for charity. But hesed goes beyond charity. Because hesed meets the full need. It's a love that meets the full need of the person who needs it, even if it puts you at a disadvantage. And the, 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 the thing behind this is, is this idea that you're communicating that this person is worth loving so much that you're willing to put yourself at risk. You are extending to them, maybe a stranger, what you would extend to the people in your community. The hope is that they'll join the community. The hope is that they'll imitate chesed. And so everyone's needs will be supplied. But chesed, this type of love, is exercised without those guarantees. It's a risk. It's a risky love because it risks the other person not reciprocating it. And yet it still exercises that kind of love. That's the kind of love that God has towards us and that he invites us to have towards others. It's a love that, that, that exercises itself regardless of whether the person receiving it will exercise it in return, regardless of whether they'll honor it, regardless of whether they'll quote-unquote return the favor in kind. It's a love that puts itself at a disadvantage. So when I read, for example, John 3.16, I see the two words converging. So John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish 
but have eternal life. And agape is clearly there. The word love there is agape. And so I see this, this, this redeeming goodwill, this love that has its origin in God and not in us. God loves, God loves the world. And because God loves the world, God, God does this thing. He sends his son. He does it for the good of the world. He does it because we need it. God loves and exercises that love by sending Jesus because we need it. We need to not perish. We need eternal life. And God does it without any guarantee that anyone will believe. Now, we know, of course, that people do believe. And God probably knew that too. And yet God does it regardless. God does it because it is what we need. And yet because this is a, a, a gospel or a, a word that is spoken by people who are Jewish, even though they might have spoken it in Greek, in their bellies or in their, in their insides, they would have felt it in Hebrew. Um, I've had the experience where because I speak two languages, sometimes I will say a word in English or in Spanish and yet inside the value I am communicating or the thing I am feeling is actually that concept in the other language. Uh, they're, they're, the, the word in English or Spanish just, just isn't enough to cover what I am expressing. I'm actually feeling it in the other language. And I think in, in, in this gospel in John, when it talks about love, though agape is there and it's adequate, I, I suspect that for Jesus, for Nicodemus, who is in this passage as well, hesed is sort of floating in the background as well. Because this is a type of action that is faithful to a covenant that God had with his people. It's, it's, it's an action that reflects God's committed loyalty to people who have not reflected loyalty back. And ultimately, it's a love that disadvantages itself. In Hebrew culture, there's, there was this belief that in order for your name to, to be remembered, in order for you to remain as part of the historical record, as part of the, the, the memory of the people, you had to uh, have male heirs. So there was a sense, there was a belief that if, if, he, if your line at some point stopped having male heirs and your name stopped getting passed on, it wasn't just that your line ended. It was as if your line, your family line had never existed. It was as if you were erased from history, erased from memory. So when I see this passage, this idea that God gives his only son, I, I can feel this love, this chesed that is risking everything, that is risking God's very existence. Now we know God wouldn't stop existing because people didn't believe, but, but it would have tapped a nerve into Jewish people. It would, have, it would have tapped something inside of them that would have said, oh, God is risking his very existence for us. God is risking because if the male heir dies and no one else claims his name, right, and no male heirs are moving forward, no one else joins the family of God, then it's as if God never existed, quote-unquote. 
And so in that, God is exercising a unique love, not for himself, though because of who he is, but rather for us, because it's what we need. We needed God to make that move. We needed God to show that kind of loyalty. We needed God to show that kind of love. It's a very unique love. And yet God invites us to imitate it as well. So as you're listening to this, I want to invite you to consider two things. One, is there any way in which you need to receive God's unique love as you're listening? Is there any part of you that needs to allow God to find places in your heart, in your mind, in your life, where he can show his unique love to you, his committed loyalty? his faithfulness, his agape, his chesed. And second, are there people in your life who need to see that kind of God love through you? Are there people who God might be inviting you to show agape and chesed to? People who you need to disadvantage yourself for. People who you need to love not because they are worth it, but because God loves them and they are worth it. They are worth it because God loves them. They may seem unlovable. They may even seem unlikable. And yet God might be inviting you to love them as well, to go to any length, to restore them into the community of the family of God. How are you going to love them this week?